Welcome, brothers and sisters, to our Bible History Project. Praise the Spirit unto our loving Father for gathering all of us together uh, this evening. Before we go ahead and proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and loving Father in heaven, yes. we are truly blessed because we have the opportunity tonight yes. to study all about your holy commands. Yes. Father Yahuwah, may you please grace us with your presence, yes. because we want to be near you at all times, yes. to find comfort, guidance, and strength. Amen. Father, please forgive all our sins. Yes. Make us worthy tonight yes. to be able to receive your commandments. Amen. May you send forth your Holy Spirit to yes. guide each and every one of us. Amen. Lord Yahusha, we also pray to you. Yes. May you stand with your servants yes. and help us also to understand your heart and your mind. Yes. That we can be like Amen. you in every way and so become your true followers. Amen. Oh, Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, we're excited tonight because we're going to go to the part where God gives instructions to Moses concerning the tabernacle. Take note, we left last week with Moses giving his commandments and his laws. And so when we reach the part of finishing up the laws, what does Yahuwah God instruct Moses to do? We will proceed to Exodus 24. 25, 26, and 27 today. Four chapters, but we're going to take bits and pieces and nuggets. We're not going to go to extreme micro detail so that we can finish uh, Exodus much faster. Is that okay? Yes. All right, let's go to Exodus 24, 1 down to 2. Yahuwah said to Moses, uh, Come up to the mountain, come up the mountain to me, you and Aaron, native of Bayou, and 70 of the leaders of Israel. And while you are still some distance away, bow down in worship. You alone and none of the others are to come near me. The people are not even to come up the mountain. And so when Yahuwah gives instruction to Moses, he basically introduces a kind of hierarchy, right? God says to Moses, you can come up to the mountain, but only you alone, followed by Aaron, native Abihu, and 70 of the leaders of Israel. The rest of the people, they could not even go to the base of the mountain. And so God is setting apart for himself a group of individuals that he will use to carry out his covenant. You see, what we find in Exodus 24 is God is going to ratify his covenant. It began with the giving of the laws, Ten Commandments, the, the giving of the judgments, the regulations. Now God is ready to ratify or to make official his covenant with his people. And so God gives Moses instructions. So what did Moses do? Exodus 24 verse 4, Moses wrote down all of Yahuwah's commands. Early the next morning, he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stones, one for each of the twi twi tribes of Israel. And so what we read here is Moses is preparing a ceremony. This is why he built an altar made of 12 stones, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel, because this was going to be a covenant that God is going to make with his people, beginning with the 12 tribes of Israel. And so there's an altar that was made, and there was a book that was made that contained the commands of God. This is called the book of the covenants. What else is part of the ceremony to take place for the making 
so to make official the covenant that God is making with his people. 24 verse 5, then he sent young men and they burned sacrifices to Yahuwah and sacrificed some cattle as fellowship offerings. And so every time the people of God were to have fellowship with him, it always involved burnt sacrifices and offerings. This was an important ceremony, an important event in the lives of God's people because God is going to make official his covenant with his people. So there are burnt offerings included. And what did Moses do with the blood that was spilled? 24, 6 to 8. Moses took half of the blood of the animals and put it in bowls. And the other half he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant in which Yahuwah's commands were written and read it aloud to the people. So this was like the preaching part of the ceremony, right? You have the altar, you have the giving of sacrifices. Now you have the reading of the commands of God. They said, we will obey Yahuwah and do everything that he has commanded. So this was like the oath taking, right? I don't know if they raised their right hands and made a pledge to Yahuwah, but what it appears to be here is that there's an oath taking. We will obey Yahuwah and do everything that he has commanded because this was an important part of the covenant. Remember what a covenant means. It's an agreement that God makes with his people. God gave his laws and God promises to be with them. However, for that to take place, they have to obey the commands of God. Verse 8, then Moses took the blood in the bowls what does he do with the blood? And he threw it on the people. He said, this is the blood that seals the covenant which Yahuwah made with you when he gave all these commandments. And so when God gave the commands, it was part of the making of the covenant. What seals the covenant was the blood that was sprinkled on the people. I don't know if you get the picture. Do you see what it's pointing to? Right? This is the covenant, right? However, we know what Yahusha the Christ did when he came into the scene, when he finally became flesh. What was that? In Hebrews 9.15, for this reason, Christ is the one who arranges a new covenant so that those who have been called by God may receive the eternal blessings that God has promised. This can be done because there has been a death which sets people free from the wrongs they did well. the first covenant was in effect. And so who arranged a new covenant to replace the first covenant? It was Yahusha HaMashiach, the son of God. And how did he arrange the new covenant? By means of his death, by means of the blood that was spilled. Take note, the first covenant was sealed by the sprinkling of blood upon the people of Israel. This time, it was only one man's blood that was spilled. Who is he? The perfect man, the son of God, Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why when Yahusha was on the cross, what did he cry out? He said in John 19, 30, Yahusha drank the wine and said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That was the sealing of the covenant. It was sealed when Yahusha said, it is finished. But how can we have a part in that covenant? that Yahusha HaMashiach arranged during the Christian era. Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said to them, go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to all people, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And so how can we have a part of that covenant 
which involves the commands of God, the commands of Yahusha, so that we can belong to Yahusha HaMashiach. We need to be baptized because when we're baptized, we're added into whose body? The body of Yahusha. That being the case, we have been sealed. We are included in the covenant that God makes with his people. Now let's go back to Exodus 24, verse 12. What else does Yahuwah say to Moses? Let's read the book of Exodus 24, 12. Yahuwah says, said to Moses, come up the mountain to me. And while you are here, I will give you two stone tablets, which contain all the laws that I have written for the instruction of the people. We know the tablets, right? You saw that in the movie. God is going to give this to Moses in Mount Sinai. After the sealing of the covenant with the sprinkling of the blood, Yahuwah invites Moses to go to Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, God is going to give him the Ten Commandments in two tablets. What does that show you about the Ten Commandments? It must be special to who? Our Almighty God, right? It's been set apart. It's been cast in stone. It's been written by the fingers of Yahuwah himself. So it must be very important to Yahuwah, our God. So it must be very important to us as well. When Moses went to Mount Sinai, you know how long he stayed there for to receive the commands of God? 40 days and 40 nights. That's a nice number. It's a nice biblical number. Exodus 24, 15 and 18. Moses went up to Mount Sinai and a cloud covered it. The dazzling light of Yahuwah's presence came down on the mountain. To the Israelites, the light looked like a fire burning on top of the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain for six days. And on the seventh day, Yahuwah called to Moses from the cloud. Moses went up to the mountain into the cloud. There he stayed for 40 days and 40 nights. How long did Moses stay there in the mountain? 40 days and 40 nights. This, and so after he finished his discussion with God, I mean, that's, that must have been something, right? Spending 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the Father. God communicating to you face to face. I don't know. How would you feel about that? Moses. In God's mountain, spoke to him face to face for 40 days and 40 nights. This will change your life. But when Moses comes down, what happens? Aaron builds what? The golden calf, right? Amazing, the idolatry of God's people. But uh, when, God, when Moses was with God, what was the first thing that God said to Moses? What did he want to happen? And so when God was planning with Moses, well, not really planning, he was telling Moses what to do, right? And so when God was telling Moses what to do next, this is what Yahuwah God said to him. We're going to Exodus 25, 1 to 7. Yahuwah said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. So they have a tanging handugan, right? Is that what? Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. I want to pause it for a while. You know, it's always been the custom of God's people to give offering, right? In the form of contributions. During our time, it's called monetary 
contributions. It's God's will that God's people will give to cover what is needed for the ministry to run, to work, because here on earth we do need monetary contributions. But notice what God, Yahuwah God himself says. Who does he want to give? It's right there, right? What did he say to Moses? Accept contributions from all, what does it say? Whose hearts are moved to offer them. And so you don't compel people to give. This is why you don't go to their house and ask for their contributions. You don't go to their house and give them envelopes and tell them to give. It has to come from their what? Their hearts. Here is a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins, and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrance incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. So God tells Moses, this is the first thing you're going to do. Get the offering, get the contribution. Why? What do you think Yahuwah God is up to? What, is, what does God want Moses to do? Let's read. What is the purpose of the giving and the collection of offerings? Let's read 8 to 9. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. What is the purpose of the contributions that God expected his people Israel to give as an offering to him? The Bible says to build a portable sanctuary. Some people call it a tent. Some translations call it a tabernacle. What is a tabernacle? It was a portable house of worship. It was a portable sanctuary that the people of Israel set up so that they can worship who? Yahuwah. What is God's purpose in giving Moses the instruction to build a tabernacle? It says right there, so I can live among them. Remember back in Genesis chapter 3 when God was with Adam and Eve in the garden paradise. God had fellowship with who? Adam and Eve. God basically lived with them. However, what happened because of sin? They were removed from the garden of Eden. Ever since then, God had the plan for him to be able to live with his people again. You see, God's promise to Moses, God's promise to the people of Israel was not just to set them free from Egypt. It was not just to take them to the mountain of Mount Sinai. The promise included God will fellowship with them. God himself will live with them. But for that to take place, there had to be a tabernacle. This is why the tabernacle is so important. It was important then. It's even important to this very day. Because that shows us how we can have fellowship with who? Our almighty God. This is why God said to Moses, you're going to build this tabernacle exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. This is a specific design from God himself. Moses did not invent this. This was God's design. And this is how it looked like, right? What do you notice about the tabernacle? Look at the walls. Because it's portable, they have to carry it with them. It's not made of brick, right? What is it made of? White cloth. You notice most of it's white, except for the one in the front. It's called the entrance. 
the entrance is composed of a different color, scarlet, red, uh, blue, right? And it was woven together. And this was to distinguish uh, the place where you can enter uh, the sanctuary. And this is how it looks like a layout of the, um, the tabernacle is composed of basically three parts. You got the courtyard, right? And then you have the tabernacle per se, which is composed of two, bar two parts, the holy place and the most holy place, right? Okay, here's a question. Who can enter uh, the tabernacle? Who can enter the tabernacle? <laughs> You're right. Okay, so the first thing that all the people of Israel, they could, they could all enter the courtyard. You see that? They can all enter the courtyard to give their animal to be sacrificed. The purpose of the tabernacle is so that when the people of Israel realize, you know what, I committed sin against God. I need to be forgiven. So what do they do? They bring their sacrifice with them. They enter into the courtyard and they give the sacrifice, the animal, to who? The priest. What does the priest do? They kill it. And that's why you have the altar of burnt offering. And it is sacrificed there. That is how the altar of the tabernacle looked like. It's like a giant furnace. You see the fire blaze, right? And so after the priest uh, uses the altar of the tabernacle, what's the next place or the next stop? They go to the laver. Is that how you pronounce it? Lover or laver? Let's just call it basin. <laughs> Guess what's in the laver? Water. When Aaron's sons are to be anointed to become priests, they use that to anoint their head. And the priests, before they go ahead and perform the services inside the tabernacle, they first have to wash their hands using the water there in the laver. And so it is to be cleansed. And so once the priest, take note, at this point, it's only the priest. Only the priest can go to the actual tabernacle. But only after washing his hands and cleansing himself. And so he goes to the tabernacle, right? Inside the tabernacle, there are three things that you find. What are they? You see the table of uh, showbread, the altar of incense, the golden Lampstand. So once you enter the curtains of the tabernacle, this is what you find. On the right, you got the table of showbread. Right in front of you, you have the altar of incense. And to your left, you have the lampstand. Okay. And so what does this symbolize? What does this show us about the tabernacle? It shows us a lot, actually. Because when we go to the right, which is the table of showbread, this is a look, closer look at it. It has two piles of bread, right? Six pieces of bread for each pile. So you have a total of how many? 12. Tradition says it also has a cup that contains wine. What does that symbolize? What does that point to? Points to the Lord's Supper. Remember Yahusha when he said, I am the bread of life. And so it points to Yahusha being the source of our sustenance. And so this communicates to us that we must rely on the provision of God, the strength that comes from him. And when you look to the left, you find the lampstand. And this is how it looks like. It, is, it has to be lit up 
24-7. And so the priest, if it runs out of olive oil, that's what they use to light it up. And the priest will come and light up the lampstand. And it's the only source of light in the entire sanctuary. So it's pretty dark without the lampstand. This is why it's always on. It's always turned on. Okay, what does that symbolize again? It symbolizes what? Remember what Yahushua said? I am the light of the world. And so we turn to Yahushua for guidance. And once we notice the, what's on the left, we look in front of us, directly in front of us, you see the curtain, the veil that separates the most holy place from the holy place. Right in front of that veil is what? You have the altar of incense, right? This is how it looks like. This is where you burn incense. What, what do you do with incense? What does it provide? A nice a smell, nice aroma, right? And what does aroma represent to God? What does that mean? It's our praises to our Father, right? And so when the Holy Spirit is in us and we offer prayers and praises, it's like an aroma to the Father. And so when we look at these three objects in the holy place, and the high priest performs what he needs to do once a year. The high priest is able to do what? He's able to cross the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place and enter the most holy place. Guess what you find in the most holy place? Only one thing. What is that? You find the ark. The ark of covenant. There's a model replica of the ark of the covenant so it's like a chest right notice it has it has holes so the poles can go through it because it was it was moved from place to place using the poles you're not supposed to touch it what's inside the covenant box or the ark of the covenant you find the two tablets that god gave to moses what else you find the rod that belongs to Aaron, and you also find a bowl of Mana. That's inside the box. The box also has a covering. The covering is very, very interesting. Why? Because it has two cherubims looking down towards the middle. And that middle spot right there on the cover, it's called the mercy seat. The high priest will drop blood, the blood from the sacrifice, right on the mercy seat. And that is what God will use to involve himself in the lives of his people. That's how God will manifest his presence. That's why in Exodus 25, 21 to 22, it says, place inside the ark, the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then put the atonement uh, cover on top of the ark. I will meet you, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands to the people of Israel. So God is going to manifest his presence to Moses right there at the mercy seat, right there at the covering of the Ark of the Covenant. What does that point, that mercy seat? What does that point to? Yahushua's sacrifice on the cross so that we can also be close to and have communication with our God. So that's the that's the, the the tabernacle design. There are several things that we can learn from the tabernacle. And what are some of those things? Well, first of all, 
we notice the hierarchy of the tabernacle. I read this earlier in Exodus 24, 1 to 2. Yahusha said to Moses, come up, right, to the mountain. So imagine a mountain and God be being at the very top. Who alone can go to the top with Moses, uh, with, with Yahuwah? Moses. Right behind him, you have Aaron, right, the high priest. And together with him, you have the priest's servants and 70 leaders of Israel. And then the rest of the people, well, they get to, they can't even go up to the base of the mountain. Uh, Yahuwah says in verse to you alone, none of the others are to come near me. The rest of the people, they can't even come up to the mountain or to the base of the mountain. What this shows us during the Old Testament is that there was a hierarchy when it comes to people being able to approach God. Did you notice that? Right? The hierarchy. Who was at the top most of the hierarchy? Moses. Then Aaron, the high priest. Then the regular priests. Then the rest of the people. So when it comes to access to God's presence, there was a definite hierarchy. When Yahusha came to the scene, you know what he did to the hierarchy? What did he do to the hierarchy? <laughs> Let's read Matthew 23, 4 to 7. They crush people with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seat of honor in synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. And so Yahushua noticed that among the Jewish people, they were still stuck in the old covenant ways. There were still that hierarchy, right? You had the rabbis, you got the priests, you got the high priests, you got the religious authority, and they were different from the rest of the people. This is why they felt special, right? They, they sat in the best seats, they wanted to be called a rabbi. And so there was a hierarchy that was in existence during the days of the Old Testament. But take a look at what Yahusha says concerning that hierarchy. We read 23, 4 to 7. What he says next in 8 down to 10, don't let anyone call you a rabbi. For you have only one teacher and all of you are equal, equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father. For only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. You know, even today, sometimes we have this hierarchical mindset, right? You have the executive minister, and then you have the sangunian, the, the council of elders. It is as though God's blessing flows through them. No, God's blessings flows through who? Yahusha. We are all equal. And so this mindset, this hierarchical, hierarchical mindset is a result of what was set up during the days of Moses, which was removed by Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why today we're all equal in the eyes of God. We can all have access to the blessings and the graces and the Holy Spirit that comes from Yahuwah, our God. There's no more because before we, when we have ministers, right? I mean, it's okay, it's, it's good and perfectly fine, and it's the command of God to respect all of our ministers, right? But we should not think of them as the connection of God. No, we're all connected to God because of one man, and that one man is who? Yahusha HaMashiach. And so when people ask us, who is your executive minister? They don't understand that Yahusha himself removed 
this office called executive minister. It's based upon the Old Testament, okay? It no longer applies during our time. Now, let's go ahead and take a look at the uh, next part, the pattern of the tabernacle. If you notice in Exodus 20, uh, 25, 8 to 9, when Yahuwah gives instructions for Moses to build the uh, holy sanctuary or tabernacle, it's, he says in verse 9, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. So there's a pattern. I wonder where the pattern came from. Why does it say pattern? Well, this is the pattern, right? You have a place for sacrifice and preparation. You have the holy place and most holy place. So this is called the tabernacle, and it's the portable sanctuary. When David and Solomon became kings of Israel, they began to build the temple, and it was finished during the days of Solomon. And this is how it looked like. It follows the same pattern. You have the courtyard. You see the basin there? It's a little bigger. You have the altar. You see it? You also have the holy place and the most holy place. Do you see that tiny uh, covenant box all the way at the ho most holy place? Do you see it? If you look closely enough, it's all made of gold. That's why. <laughs> you see it? Yeah. And so it follows the pattern. This is just a bigger scale, right? The tabernacle, small scale. This is bigger scale. But it followed the pattern. It turns out this pattern existed long ago. Why? Hebrews 8.5, they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build a tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. And so there's a temple in heaven. And what God showed to Moses was basically a design that mimics the pattern that is in heaven. And when you fast forward and we use the vision of the Apostle John in Revelation eleven nineteen, 19, this is what it says, that in heaven, the temple of God was open and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flash, thunder crash and roared. There was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm in Revelation 15, 5 to 8. And I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, so I guess there's a temple in heaven, right? God's tabernacle was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold ashes across their chest. And one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke and God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. The point is, this pattern was important to God because this pattern is also found in heaven. This is why the pattern of the tabernacle we're going to refer to later on when it comes to how we're going to worship the living God. As far as uh, the temple of God now here on earth, where can we find it? Let's read the book of Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Surely you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys God's temple for God's temple is holy and you yourselves are his temple. And so when Yahushua came, there was really no need for a temple made by hands. 
Why? Because when Yahusha came, we the people became the temple of God's spirit. This is why in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16, how can God's temple come to terms with pagan idols? For we, we, the people, we are the temple of the living God. As God himself has said, I will make my home with my people and live among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So during the Christian era, there is no need to have an actual building so that we can fellowship with our almighty God. Because we the people represent the temple of God and can manifest his presence by means of his holy spirit. Is that a good thing? This is why there's no need to build a house of worship. Is it good to have a house of worship? Yes. Do we want to build a house of worship? Yes. But is it a necessity? No. Because what is important are the people, the body that belongs to Yahusha, because that is the temple of Yahuwah in the Christian era. But there's one more thing that's, that we can learn from the tabernacle, and that is about the freedom to worship. If you notice, in the Old Testament times, according to Hebrews 10.1, the writer, Apostle Paul, he wrote about the old system, and he says in verse 1, the old system under the law of Moses it's only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they are never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So Apostle Paul, looking back at the old covenant, the first covenant, he said it was not perfect, right? It served its purpose in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, but when it was in action, when it was implemented during the Old Testament times, it was not perfect. Why? Because it was never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Why? And so what was included? What did they have to do? What was set up in that system so that people can actually worship Yahuwah our God? Hebrews 9, 1-3, the first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship. In a place of worship here on earth. So you had to have a place, right? The tabernacle, the temple. And you also had to have a, a bunch of rules, right? Regulations. You had to have those two things. Uh, there were two rooms in that tabernacle. The first room were a lampstand. We know that now. A table, sacred loaves of bread on the table. Take note, Apostle Paul emphasizes that. So apparently it has some relevance for us today. We'll show you why later on. This room was called what? the holy place. Then there was a curtain and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. What were the regulations about the most holy place? In that room, there was, uh, there were, there were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff and sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim, the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. It's called the mercy seat. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. And so what regulations were imposed so that they can receive the presence of God and be able to worship? In Hebrews 9, 6 to 8, when these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duty. So when it comes to worship, the priests represented the people for worship. The people could not go to the tabernacle. It was the priests only. 
who can represent the people. Bummer, right? So the people were left outside. You see the restrictions of the tabernacle system of the first covenant? You could not, you could, it was only the priests. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year, the day of atonement. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. And so what Apostle Paul is getting at is the old system was very restrictive. Only the priest can enter the tabernacle. And only the high priest, and only once a year, can enter the most holy place and fellowship with God. The rest of the people, they were outside. You see the hierarchy? Yeah, who shall remove that? How did he do that? Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. I want to pause there for a while. Wow. There's a tabernacle in heaven. Yahusha, being the high priest, he went to the tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands. The tabernacle, the temple of Solomon, they're all made by human hands. But this one's different. Not made by human hands, right? Which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place in the tabernacle in heaven, once for all time and secured our redemption forever. So how did Yahushua remove the hierarchy? He went to the tabernacle in heaven, being our high priest. He gave up his life, right? By means of his shed blood, what did he do? He secured our redemption forever. He made a covenant with us. Is that wonderful? He created a, a wonderful security for us. He secured or sealed a covenant for us. And because of this, what do we now have? Hebrews 10, 19. We have then, my friends, complete freedom to go into the most holy place by means of the death of Yahushua. He opened for us a new way, a living way through the curtain that is through his own body. We have a great high priest in charge of the house of God. So let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith, with hearts that have been purified from a guilty conscience and with bodies washed with clean water. So Yahushua removed the barriers. So what do we have now? Freedom. Freedom to worship who? Yahuwah, our God. In the Old Testament, it was so restrictive. Who can only go to the tabernacle? The priest. And that was just the tabernacle, the holy place. Who can go to the most holy place? Only one person, the high priest. Only once a year. When Yahushua went to the tabernacle in heaven, and he removed the barriers, and we have complete freedom. What does he tell us? What does Apostle Paul say? What do you notice? Let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith. Now he expects us to go near God. But how do we do that now? How can we grow? How can we draw near God? Because we have this complete freedom now to worship him and to be with him in the most holy place. We read verses 10, 19, and 22. Let's keep reading so that you can see the connection. Okay, 25 to 27. Let us not, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage 
one another all the more, since you see that the day of the Lord is coming near. For there is no longer any sacrifice that will take away sins if we purposely go on sinning after the truth has been made known to us. Instead, all that is left is to wait in fear for the coming judgment and the fierce fire which will destroy those who oppose God. Brethren, we have it good. We have it so good today. But we're taking it for granted, maybe some of us. Because sometimes maybe there are those who are neglecting the assembling of ourselves together. We should not do that. We should appreciate what God has done. We should appreciate what Yahusha has done because of the sacrifice that was made. We have the freedom, the complete freedom to draw near God when we meet together for worship. We have freedom for worship. However, for us to experience the presence of God, we need to follow the pattern of worship. This is why we told you earlier, we have to look into the pattern, right? The pattern that Moses followed came from a pattern God has created in, in heaven. So what we have on earth is a replica, a copy. And so we look at the pattern, not just of the structure, but also of the process so that we can worship God in a way so that we can feel his presence. Isn't that what we want? So what do you do? I mean, so that when we do meet together for worship, we do feel the presence of God. Well, we look at the pattern of the tabernacle. Well, what's the pattern of the tabernacle? So that we can follow that pattern for our worship. Well, when you look at the tabernacle, this is how it looks like. So you enter the courtyard. First thing you see is the altar of burnt offering. And then the lavier, right? And then you enter the tabernacle. On the right, the table of bread. On the left, the lampstand. Right in front of you, the, the altar of incense. And then you have the ark of the covenant. So we have this pattern of worship. Number one, altar of burnt offering. When you enter the courtyard, the altar of burnt offering, today in the Christian era, what does that represent? Our huh? sacrifices. What does that include? Not just voluntary contributions, but our effort, our work, our offices, the, the service that we do for Yahuwah. And you know, the Bible also says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. So when we surrender to the will of God, that's what it means. And so when we worship the Father, before we enter the tabernacle, because when you look at the pattern, we haven't even entered the tabernacle yet right? We're still living our life. When, before we enter the tabernacle, we should already be obeying the words of God as part of our sacrifice. And then comes the lavier. What does that symbolize? What does that represent? The lavier. Remember, it's water. What do you do with your hands? Remember James? He said, draw near to me, draw, and I will draw near to you. God says, wash your hands, you sinners. What does that represent? Renewing our life. Renewing our life. Repenting from our sins. So even before we enter the tabernacle, even before we assemble to worship God, we should already be obeying the will of God. We live a righteous life and repentance. Okay? That's what we need to do to prepare. Now we enter the tabernacle. We get to the table of bread. What does that represent? Table of bread. Yeah, we receive spiritual nourishment. And so we should be awake when it comes to the preaching of the word of God. The bread of life is who? It's Yahushua. How does he give us the bread of life? The words. So we have to be hungry for that. That's, that's spiritual nourishment for us. What else? The lampstand, what does that represent? Got to seek the guidance of Yahuwah and Yahushua. This is why we have to come early. 
and we have to really seek the presence of the Father and seek their guidance, right? And then we have the altar of incense. What does that represent? What does that symbolize? Praise. We sing hymns. It's like incense to God when we sing hymns, when we praise Him, when we pray to Him. It's like incense to Him. And so we offer praises and prayer. And so when we do all that, when we long for and eat the words of God, because we're attentive, we want to know what God's will is. When we seek the guidance of the Father, we want to know His will when it comes to our life. And when we offer praise and thanksgiving and prayers to Him, we are now ready to go to the most holy place. Right? And what does that represent? The Ark of the Covenant. You experience the presence of Yehovah. You know, there's some people who attend worship service but they don't feel the presence of Yahuwah. Why? Because they did not go to the first five steps. You can't just barge into the presence of the Father. Yes, we have complete freedom to enter the presence of our God. However, we need to understand we can't just barge into that. We have to prepare ourselves with sacrifice, renewing our life, receiving that spiritual nourishment, seeking His guidance, offering praises, praises and prayers, and then we will experience presence the power of Yahuwah's presence in our life that's the pattern of worship that is taught to us by the tabernacle that God wants us to know so that we can elevate our way of worshiping our God okay all right so that's our lesson now we go to the meal mailbox okay let's go to the first one somebody sent seven questions we're going to go through this really quickly what doctrines are you using doctrines prepared by the sugo it says Church of Christ. So he's comparing Church of Christ 1914 and Church of Christ. It's according to the person asking a question. The doctrines that the INC uses are doctrines prepared by the Sugo. That's not entirely correct because in the Pandoctrina today, right? In the Pandoctrina today, there are teachings there that was never taught by the Sugo. It was taught by Brother Arani Manal. For example, the coming together in the West that was never taught by the Sugo. It was only taught by Brother Irani Manalo. So we can say that the doctrines of during the days of Brother Irani Manalo was not entirely the same during the days of Brother Felix Manalo. During the days of Brother Felix Manalo and the early days of Brother Irani Manalo, the Pandoctrina, quote unquote, it was 39, right? 39 lessons and it became 28. In the Philippines it's 25, so there's a difference there. And so it wasn't the same. For us, we don't limit our doctrines to what uh, the Sugo and Brother Erdi taught. What do we preach? What is our doctrines? Well, our doctrines is Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We don't add to, we don't subtract from the gospel. We don't add to or subtract from the word of God. So that's the, that's the basis of our faith. We get the Bible. <laughs> that's the source of our nourishment so that people can receive baptism. Question number two. How will you baptize the members? In what name will you baptize them? How will the members be called? In the Church of Christ, baptism, after accepting the doctrines and tests, they will be called Church of Christ. And so, if for us, how do we baptize members? What name do we use? Well, we use the formula given to us by Yahusha HaMashiach. This is what he says, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make... Uh, disciples of all the nations, baptizing them of the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the formula that we also use. However, what do we need to understand when it comes to this formula? 
when Yahusha says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, when we carry out the work of baptism, we don't say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We use the actual names. Why? Because when Yahusha, when, when the apostles baptized, they did not say, I baptize you in the name of the Son. They did not say that. They followed the command of Yahusha to baptize the name of the Son, but when they were in the act of doing it, what did they say? Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yahusha. It says Jesus there because of the, the English name, quote-unquote, but we prefer the Hebrew name because God gave him a Hebrew name. So we use Yahusha, the Christ. So we baptize in the name of Yahusha HaMashiach, Yahusha the Christ. So when we baptize, we baptize in the name of Yahuwah, Yahusha, and the Ruach Kadash. That's our formula for baptism. What are the members called? We're called Yahushans. Church of Yahusha. That's who we are. Okay, let's go to question number three. But you don't have Holy Supper, so you can't be redeemed by Christ's blood. Partaking the Holy Supper and taking the bread and wine. I don't think they use wine. <laughs> I think it's so called Welch's. That's what they use, not wine. Um, but we do have Holy Supper. And how do we practice the Lord's Supper or the Holy Supper? Corinthians 11, 23, 26, For I received from the Lord that which, is, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord uh, Yahushua on the same night in which he was betrayed to bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. How do we uh, do the, the Lord's Supper? We take bread, we break it, we give each of the members pieces, and they eat the bread. Afterwards, we get the cup. One cup, we give the members their share, and they drink the cup. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, Holy Supper? It is to remember Yahushua and to proclaim his death. Is this what we do in, in the church of Yahushua? Yes! We do the Lord's Supper according to how Apostle Paul preached it as it was received by him from the Lord. So we do have the Lord's Supper. Let's go to question number four. Can one join but still remain? I and see. The one cannot, you must not serve two masters. Okay, so we have to basically understand what it means to be a member of the Church of Yahusha. If you want to be a member of the Church of Yahusha, you have to do one thing. What is that? You have to choose who you want to follow. If you want to be a member of the Church of Yahusha, you follow who? Yahusha! You don't follow Kajang, Kajeria, Kaerning, no. You follow Yahusha. If you want to be a member of this church, then you have to follow Yahusha because this church belongs to him. This is why it's a good thing this person posted there. He basically answered his own question. You must not serve two masters, right? So who is the master that we should choose if we want to be a member of the church of Yahusha? In Matthew 23, 8 to 11, the Bible says in verse 11, verse 10, nor should you be called leader because your one and only leader is the Messiah. And so if we want to be a member of the church of Yahusha, then we have to accept that our true executive minister is who? 
Yahusha, HaMashiach. He's our one and only leader. Are there instruments that Yahusha uses here on earth? Yes, but they're all equal. We're all equal. There's no hierarchy. We're the same. And so if we're able to accept that, then we are members of the church of Yahushua. We follow his leadership because he is the Messiah. And so if we accept someone else rather than Yahushua, then you're a member of that someone else, right? The church of that someone else. Because nowadays there are people who say, well, I'm one with EVM. Here, it's not like that. It's not, I'm one with Kajerio. I'm not one with Kaerni. No, it's nothing like that. How can we be able to say that we are followers of Yahusha and not any of the leaders who are here on earth. Well, in John 17, 21, 22, I pray. Let's pause. <laughs> Who's the one praying here? Who's the one? Yahusha. Take note of what he says. I pray that they, the sheep that belong to Yahusha, members of his church, right? What does he require? Father, uh, I pray that they may all be one. One with who? Paul? One with who? Apollos? One with who? Father, may they be in us just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one so that the world would believe that you sent me. I gave them the same glory you gave me so that they may be one just as you and I are one. So what Yahushua is telling us, if we're going to follow a leader, it should be who? Yahuwah and Yahusha. This is why we do not say I'm one with Kajan. I'm not, we're not going to say I'm one with Kajeria. I'm one with EVM. Why? Because we're human beings. We make mistakes. We are not one, perfectly one with the Father. But who is? Yahusha. This is why the proper thing to say is, I am one with Yahuwah. I am one with Yahusha. But never, ever, ever say, I am one, and then fill in the blank, other than the two. Because if you do that, then you are a member of the church of the fill in the blank. Right? This is why if you want to be a member of this church, you have to choose. If you are still, I am one with EVM, then you cannot be a member of this church. You cannot be a member of Church of Yahushua. You have to choose. That's why it's a good thing you mentioned you cannot have two masters. You got to choose your master. Who is your master? Who are you one with? It has to be either Yahuwah and Yahusha and nobody else, right? This is why Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 47, when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like worldly people? After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We're simply God's servants by whom you were led to believe. Each one of us does the work which the Lord gave him to do. I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plant, but it was God who made the plant grow. The one who plants and the one who waters really do not matter. It is God who matters because he makes the plant grow. You see what Apostle Paul is saying here? Don't be so fixated on the human leader. Do not say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow EGM, I follow EVM. No, they're servants. Who should we follow? The master. Who is that? God. Yahusha, right? Because if we say, I follow EVM, I won't be EVM, then you made him your master. You belong to the church of EVM. No, we follow God. We follow Yahusha HaMashiach, okay? All right, so go to the next question. If both, okay, so if, the, if both has the same doctrines and the non-member wants to be saved, so we're talking about a non-member, maybe someone, you, you go to Walmart, you meet some stranger, they talk, they talk religion, you invite them, oh, you want to learn about God? Where should they be registered? INC? 
or with us? What do you think I'll say? <laughs> well, I can say, I can say, oh, just go to the INC. You know, they're the true church. We're not going to say that. I have to speak the truth, right? And so, if given a choice, if we were going to direct people where to be registered in, where would it be? Let's read the book of Isaiah 1, 8 to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a, a booth in the vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, unless, unless Yahuwah of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we should have become like Sodom. We, we would have been made like Gomorrah. Where should we be registered in? Where should we belong? Where should we want to seek fellowship with? Not the daughter of Zion, but the remnant, the very small remnant that God set apart from the daughter of Zion, right? Why? Because the daughter of Zion was likened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It turned away from who? From Yahuwah. Well, when it turned away from Yahuwah, did they remain an organization? Yeah. What's the proof? Let's read verse 10. It says, hear the word of Yahuwah, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So the institution remains. The organization remains. But what does Yahuwah God want? Listen to my words. Because he has already taken away the very small remnant from Sodom and Gomorrah. From the daughter of Zion that turned away from God. Has this happened before? Where the daughter of Zion has left God? Has this happened before? Yes. What's the proof? This is a worship service lesson preached by Brother Irani Manalo. Take a, take a look at the question. Why is it that the organization which continues to exist is no longer the congregation of true believers or the true church? And it says in Matthew 24, it was led straight, right? What perpetrated this? The fierce wolves, who are being referred to as fierce wolves, false prophets. Who else are likened to false prophets? Evil government officials. And take a look at the note, the explanation of Brother Aranyo. He says, thus the organization that remains is no longer in the true faith because it has apostatized. Those who did, those who did not apostatize or allow themselves to be led astray from the true faith were killed by the evil officials. And so has it ha happened before in history where the daughter of Zion turned away from God? Yeah, we call it the apostasy, the first century church of Christ. What happened to the first century church of Christ? It turned away, right? It turned away from God. But when it turned away from God, did the organization dismantle? No, it remained the same. In fact, it grew even stronger, materially speaking, right? It became what? It became the Catholic Church, right? Those who did not apostatize, those who left the first century Church of Christ after it turned away from God, what happened to them? They were killed. This is why if we were to go back to the first century, let's imagine for a moment that we're able to travel back in time or in the first century, Right? And you see that the church of Christ in the first century is turning away from God, and then you decide to leave, right? Back then, if somebody asked you, how do you remain a member of the church of Christ? What would you say? By leaving the institution which turned away from Christ. It's the same thing today. There is this institution, but it's turned away from God. 
And so it has become a different organization. Well, how can we know which to join? The small remnant, the institution, the, the daughter of Zion? How can we know which one we should avoid? Well, this is what Yahuwah says. I just want you to read for yourself. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. That's the first sign. What's a harlot? In the Bible, the harlot is, is a religious leader who makes official agreements with the government. Okay? I don't think we've done that. Have we done that? We didn't do that. I don't know. Do you know anyone who did that? <laughs> I want you to answer that on your own. Okay, she once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. What is the equivalent of murder? Hate. You hate someone. When you say in your prayer, for example, <laughs> destroy them, kill them. What does that mean? You're promoting hate. Are we doing that? We're not doing that, right? Your rulers are rebels. You know what an act of rebellion is? A clear act of rebellion. When you take the glory that belongs to who? And you take it for yourself. What do you call that? Rebellion. What else? Companions of thieves. Did we ever work with thieves? Never did that. They love bribes. Do we love bribes? Chase after gifts. Did we chase after gifts? They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. Did we do that? The widow's case has not come before them. Did we do that? Did we expel the widow? We didn't do any of that. So which choice are you going to make? For me? I'm not going to choose to follow the daughter of Zion, but the remnant of the daughter of Zion. Make sense? Okay, let's go to the next question. Number six, your Bible study tends to be for those who are educated and intellectual. How about those who lives in province? It seems you are targeting different groups to believe. Uh, in INC, he says, uh, people of all walks of life will be attended to and taught the doctrines of the church. Poor rich okay is it true that we're targeting educated and intellectual intellectual individuals no what are we doing acts 8 4 to 5 those who have been scattered that's like us in a way right preach the word wherever they went philip went down to a city in samaria and proclaimed the christ there is this what we're doing yeah but we're doing it more efficiently than philip did why because we have what's called the internet did you know that most of our followers are from the provinces? The people who listen to our show, our Bible study programs, they're from the provinces in the Philippines. They even text me. I'm, 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 they're saving up their, what do you call that? Their load? Their load. This is why instead of having Facebook, we also use YouTube. That way they can download it. They can download our videos so they can watch it. Because we're catering to those who are in the provinces because they could not stream it live on Facebook. This is why we give the option to download it on YouTube. So we are catering to all, to all people, not just the rich, oh, come on, <laughs> right? And our, the preaching of the word of God can be understood by the babes, the simple babes, if they have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's not about your IQ. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's not about your, which college you came from or graduated from. It's about the Holy Spirit, not about whether or not you understand English. By the way, now we have Tagalog uh, worship services. And so we're continuing to work towards that. 
Okay, right, let's go to question number seven. Some left, or rather, they didn't try to remain in the church, therefore not heeding the instruction of Brother Irani Jimenez. Uh, EGM said, no matter what, no matter what, twice, do not leave the church. Question, do we believe, do we accept what Cardi said? Yes, we must never leave the church. Why? Because if we leave the church, how can we be saved? If we leave the church, we have to answer for our own sins. And if we answer for our own sins, we're going to have to pay for it on our own. And guess what? We're not good enough. We're going to perish in the lake of fire. We don't want that. This is why we want to be in the church. But what does that mean, though? What does it mean to not leave the church? What does it mean to remain in the church? What is the church in the first place? Because our people have different concepts of what the church is. So what is the church according to the Bible? Colossians 1.18, the church is the body of Yahusha. It's not the building. It's not the institution. It's not all the properties, right? That's not the church. The church is the body. What does it mean? It's the body, the body of Yahusha. In verse 27, it says, all of you are Christ's body and each one is a part of it. And so the body is composed of people, people who follow Yahusha, people who make Yahusha their master, not someone else. They're the ones who belong to his church, baptized into his body. And so it doesn't refer to the building. This is why in Corinthians 3.16, the Bible says, you are God's temple. We talked about this earlier. The people of God today is not represented by an institution. It is represented by people who follow Yahusha Hamashiach. But people get confused sometimes. They think it's the building. They think it's the institution. Why? Because of what Yahushua said in Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And so they're probably imagining Yahushua with a hammer and some wood or some blocks of stone and hammering away, building a structure. No. When Yahushua says, I will build my church, what does the word church mean? If we look at the Greek word, it's actually ekklesia. Which means what? This is the definition of ecclesia, a calling out, a congregation, community of members. And so what that means is the church are the called out ones who belong to a congregation of people. And so it refers to people, people who were called out by God and by Yahusha. That's the church, not the building. And so there's a difference between the INC institution and the body of Christ. Yes, Kaurdi's right. Do not leave the church. We didn't leave the church. How about you? <laughs> we never left the church. Well, what if we choose to follow Yahusha and the one who heads the institution doesn't like it? He wants us to do something that we don't want to do because we know Yahusha does not want us to do this. And we say no and we get expelled. Did we get removed from the church? No. First of all, you, no man here on earth has the power to remove people from the body of Yahusha because that body belongs to who? Yahusha. Brother Eduardo Manalo is a member of the body. He's not the head. You get it? And so when a person who's a member of the body expels you, is that real expulsion? No. What's the equivalent of that? John 16, 2. You'll be expelled from the synagogues, and the time will come when those who kill you will think that by doing this, they are serving God. And so point I want to make here is there is what is called the synagogue. This is the visible organization. 
represented by people, property, and institutionalized governments, the synagogue. Were there people who were expelled from the synagogue, the organization of men, but were not expelled from the body of Christ? Yes. And here's a good example of one. I want you to watch this. Then they took to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. The day that Jesus made the mud and cured him of his blindness was a Sabbath. Pharisees then asked the man again how he had received his sight. He put some mud on my eyes. I washed my face, and now I can see. A man who did this cannot be from God, for he does not obey the Sabbath law. How could a man who is a sinner perform such miracles as these? And there was division among them. You say he cured you of your blindness. Well, what do you say about him? He is a prophet. The Jewish authorities, however, were not willing to believe that he had been blind and could now see until they called his parents. Is this your son? Of interrogation. You say that he was born blind. How is it then that he can now see? We know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But we don't know how it is that he is now able to see, nor do we know who cured him of his blindness. Ask him. He is old enough and he can answer for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities who had already agreed that anyone who said he believed that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is old enough, ask him. A second time, they called back the man who had been born blind. Promise before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. I do not know if he is a sinner or not. One thing I do know. I was blind. And now I see. What did he do to you? How did he cure you of your blindness? I have already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Maybe you too would like to be his disciples. They insulted him and said, You are that fellow's disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. What a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man came from God, he would not be able to do a thing. You were born and brought up in sin. And you are trying to teach us. And they expelled him from the synagogue.
Jesus heard what had happened. He found the man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is, sir, so that I can believe in him. You have already seen him. And he is the one who is talking with you now. I believe, Lord. And he knelt down before Jesus. I came to this world to judge, so that the blind should see, and those who see should become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked him, Surely you don't mean that we are blind too. If you were blind, then you would not be guilty. But since you claim that you can see, this means that you are still guilty. Okay. If you want to watch the whole movie, you can go to YouTube and look up the life of Jesus and you can watch uh, the whole movie. So this blind man, was he expelled? Yeah. yeah. Was he expelled from the church? No. He was not expelled from the body of Yahushua. He was not expelled from the body of Christ. He was expelled from the synagogue. He was expelled from the, from the institution, right? Because men have power over their synagogues. Men have power over their institutions. If you're the corporation soul of an institution, you can do whatever you want, right? But these people do not have the power over the body of Yahushua. Who has the power over the body of Yahushua? Yahushua does. This is why if you want to be members of Yahushua's body, who do you have to follow? Yahushua. Even if it means refusing to obey religious leaders because sometimes what they will tell you to do is against the will of Yahuwah and Yahusha. This is why we say we are followers of Yahuwah, followers of Yahusha, not followers of religious leaders here on earth because if we say we're followers of religious leaders here on earth and we end up teaching you the wrong things, which is what the majority of religious leaders end up doing. If you read the Bible, look at all the kings, right? When you look at all the leaders of God's people, almost all of them, they turn sour. They turn against God. This is why we must not say, I'm a follower of this religious leader. We are followers of who? Yahuwah and Yahusha. So if we go back to the question, right? It says, not heeding the instruction of Brother EGM. EGM said, again, the emphasis is on the servant, right? You see that? This is our sickness, this is where we came. It is as though EGM cannot make a mistake. We love Brother Iranya Manalo. We love Brother Felix Manalo. We love Brother Eduardo Manalo. But they're human beings. Brother Iranya Manalo said, no matter what, don't leave the church. Do we believe this? Yes. But if we really want to remain members of the church, what must we do? Well, this is what Yahushua said. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. How can we remain members of the church? By remaining sheep. Because that's the church, right? The sheep are gathered in one flock. The flock is the church. We've been taught this again and again. But the question is, how can we remain sheep? By following the voice of your true shepherd. Who is that? Yahusha. So if you follow another sheep who tells you we should do this, and Yahusha says, no, I am your shepherd. You do that. If we follow this, if we follow the sheep, instead of following Yahusha, the shepherd, what happens? Are we going to remain members of the church? No, because we followed the wrong voice. We have to follow the right voice. 
The right voice is not the voice of the quote-unquote executive minister. No, the voice that we have to follow is the voice of who? Yahusha. You want to remain a member of the Church of Christ and follow, follow the voice of Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why we say true membership in the body of Christ is not based on an institution. It's Christ-based. You follow the voice of Yahusha. Can we hear the voice of Yahusha today? Yes. This is why in Revelation 1, 10 to 11, we talked about the voice of Yahusha. We talked about the message of Yahusha to the seven churches. We talked about this before. We can find it in Revelation 2 and 3. We want you to read that because that contains commandments from Yahusha himself so that we can remain members of the church. Because if we're going to simply say, remain members of the church, well, what does that mean? It means follow Yahusha because he's the leader of the church. Follow him. And he has a direct message to the church in Revelations 2 and 3. If you look at it, it has all these 20 different commands, probably more. And so follow that to remain a member of his church. Okay? That's what it means to be a member of the church. And so when people ask us, why don't you return to the church? What is our answer? We never left the church. We never left the church. How about you? Whose voice did you follow? Because if you do not follow Yahushua's voice, you follow the executive minister's voice, then you're a member of the church of the executive minister, not a member of the church of Yahushua. You see the difference? Always the emphasis God and Yahushua HaMashiach. The last one, there are three groups of your faith led by Brother June Sampson, Kalowell, both friends of mine, and now Church of Christ 1914. This is creating confusion and division among members who truly want to know the truth. God is not a God of confusion. Why cause this confusion? Question mark. Why don't you truly advise the brethren who to believe? I'm sure your answer would be trust in God and let him guide you. It's easy said than done. But I would like to thank you for all the wonderful stories and lessons in the Bible history projects. It may be closer to God and to his purpose. And so the question is, why cause confusion? Because we are teaching the Bible History Project. We have the Church of Christ 1914. And it's different, not affiliated with Brother Lowell's group, Brother Jim Sampson's group. You know, brethren, I mean, I'm going to be, up, I'm gonna be, be uh, upfront with all of you. I, I don't belong with the group that Brother June Sampson is leading and Brother Lowell is leading. I don't. I love them as brothers. I speak to them. I spoke to them. The last time I spoke to them, however, um, they were telling me that I should not be teaching teachings that were not taught by the Sugo. So their stand is, both groups, their stand is, do not add or subtract from what was taught by Brother Felix Y. Manalo and Brother Ivana G. Manalo. That's their stand. I cannot, I cannot take that stand. Like I said, I believe in what was taught by Brother Felix Manalo, Brother Irani Manalo. I believe in those doctrines because they're biblical. However, I don't want to limit myself to just what, to what they believe or what they taught. Why? Because Revelation says in 22, 18 and 19, I, John, solemnly warn you, uh, warn everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book, if any add anything to them, God will add to their punishment the plagues described in his book. And if anyone, if any, take anything away from the prophetic words of this book, God will take away from them their share of the fruit of the tree of life and of the holy city, which are described in this book. This is why if we are going to say to the brethren, only believe the part of the Bible that was taught by the Sugo and Brother Irani Manalo, what are we doing? We're subtracting from the Bible. This is why we also restored the names of God. Why? Because to have 
L-O-R-D, what did the translators have to do? They had to remove the name, replace it with L-O-R-D. What do you do? You add, you subtracted, and you added. That's even worse. This is why we believe we need to restore the name. Why? Because we must not add or subtract from the Bible, let alone the most important name, the name of God himself. Well, that group cannot accept that. And so I have to, I have to do what I believe is recorded in the Bible, okay? And this is also our belief in our stand, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 17. Now from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so when you think about it, if you're going to limit yourself to only what the Sugo and Brother Early taught, right, then you're limiting your understanding of God. We are removing parts of scripture the Bible says is inspired by God. Why will we do that? When God gave us this whole book, why don't we use the whole book? This is why my suggestion for those who, you know, follow the, the groups that believe only what was taught by the Suga and Brother Erdi, if you believe, okay, I'll be up, for, uh, up front, if you really believe, that we should only agree to what was taught by the Sugo and Brother Iran Jimanalo, then you should go back to the institution. You should go back to the institution, right? If you want to live a life of integrity, then you have to go back to the institution. If you really believe in only what was taught by the Sugo and Brother Iran Jimanalo, but we believe in what the whole Bible says. This is why we believe in the prophecy in Isaiah 1, 8, 2, 9. See, that was not taught by the Sugo, but it explains what's happening now, but there are people who don't believe it. And so if they don't believe it, then they should go back to the institution. But there's another point that uh, was mentioned there. He says, why cause the confusion? Why don't you truly advise the brethren who to believe? I'm sure you, your answer would be to trust God and let him guide you. That's my answer. Let him guide you, but you have to do your part. You know what the antidote is the solution is to confusion you know what it is what's the antidote to confusion what's the antidote the solution to confusion pray to god lord god please help me to be not confused anymore that's part of it that's not all of it i trust you yahuwah my god that i will not be confused anymore that i will understand the truth that's part of it it's not all of it see there's another part that god wants us to do so that we will not be confused unfortunately this part people don't want to do which is why we're confused. What do you think that is? <laughs> Let's read Acts 17, 11. The people there were more open-minded than the people in Thessalonica. They listened to the message with great eagerness. And every day they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was really true. People who are confused are people who don't really want to study the Bible. What do they want? People to tell them what to believe, right? Which is easier. Who's going to, I mean, what, the, what am I going to believe? If I listen to Carl Lowell, Kajun, Kajun, what am I going to believe? Don't, don't listen to any of us. Study for yourself. Praying to Yahuwah our God that he will open your mind. Study, study the Bible. Because if you will not take the time to study the Bible, you will be confused. 
But if you want to be able to understand God's will, study the Bible. The more you study the Holy Scriptures, you will not be confused. You will know the truth with certainty. It will set you free and you'll have peace to be able to worship the true God. This is why we invite you to keep studying with us. And as we study together, we want you to also read on your own, study on your own, ask questions if you have any questions so that we can discuss them in this platform. That way we can together take this journey that God wants us to take so that we can receive the promise of everlasting life. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes. Almighty God, Yahuwah, yes. thank you so much for the clarity of your holy words. Amen. We have faith in you and your beloved Son. Yes. We are your followers. We are one with you. Yes. And so we ask that you please give us clarity yes. as we study your holy words. Amen. Truth is, this is what we have seen. Yes. When we embarked on this journey from the beginning, yes. in the study of the book of Genesis up until now, yes. you have shown us so much truth. And we felt so joyous to receive these truths yes. because it has brought us closer to you yes. as we understand you more. Amen. Thank you for showing us your name. Yes. Now we use it to praise you. Yes. Yahuwah, our God. Yes. Yahuwah Almighty. Amen. Father, please, in our further studies, continue to guide us. Yes. Send forth your Holy Spirit yes. in every worship service. Because yes. we want to feel your presence yes. now that we have the freedom to approach you by the shed blood of your son. Amen. Lord Yahusha, yes, we have been expelled by men, yes. removed from their synagogues. Yes. But we have you, Yahusha Hamashiach. You are our true executive minister. Yes. And we will not follow any other leader but you, yes. the one appointed, the one set by God himself. Amen. Lord Yahusha, help us to be loyal. Yes. Help us to hear your voice during times when we are tested. Just like the blind man, yes. we will go to you and we will confess that we belong to you. Yes. And we will declare we are in one, oneness with you alone. Amen. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers. Yes. Bless your people all over the earth. Yes. Continue yes. to help us. As we continue to worship you, yes. prepare us, please, for the great day of our salvation. Amen. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.